Good morning, church. We are having some technical difficulties with the projector this morning. So we're going to pray that it turns on sometime while we're singing. But the first song we're doing is Joy to the World. So I feel like we can handle that one together. So let's go ahead and stand and sing this song together.
Lighting a candle is a simple yet profound act. It is a testimony to the power of light over darkness. The second candle of Advent is called the Peace Candle as we celebrate the birth of the Prince of Peace. Let us remember our need for a savior to save us from our sin and give us peace with God. John 14, 27, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. Prince of Peace, reveal yourself to us today. We need peace in our lives, our homes, our family, our church, and the whole world. Help us to slow down and seek out the peace you provide so we may become peacemakers for ourselves and others. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.
Amen. Let's take a seat. Thank you, everybody. Welcome, Redemption Church. We are one church in 10 local congregations throughout Arizona. We're gospel-centered, outward-focused, and believe that all of life is all for Jesus. So sorry about the projector issues. We, we are working on it and have been working on it, and we have our best people on it, Stephanie, working on it as hard as she can to get that up and running. So please bear with us for that. Uh, we are doing child dedications this morning. So think about this. If you've been following us uh, faithfully the last few weeks, you'll notice this is the third child dedication service in the last month and a half. Think about how great that is. That is one way practically to grow the church. So good job, parents, there. Way to go. Let's keep that work up. <laughs> Amen. So yeah, here, I got a microphone for you guys right here. Now, child dedications, remember, they're not meant to be a, a replacement for infant baptism or anything like that. They're rooted in the truths that we see and try to reflect in Scripture. And child dedications really accomplish three main things. This is what I want us to notice here. It's an opportunity to get to know more of the families in our church. Um, and it's a chance for them to publicly express their intentions as parents so we can help hold them accountable to that. It's a reminder for all parents in attendance here how important the job of discipleship is in the home. It's vital, and it's never too late and never too early to begin discipling in the home. And lastly, it encourages us, the church family, to live all of life, all for Jesus, as an example, so that these children and other children in our church might grow up with a, a good example of a redeemed life in Christ. And so... The family, we remember, is God's idea. So he holds the history of it and the standards for it in his word. And we see that in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. It's called the Shema. It was a really, is a really popular prayer. There's two parts in there that are really great. One, it tells us to love God with everything we have, to love him. And that's not just for parents. That's for all of us, right? And then it tells parents to teach our children about God in everything that we do. So love God with everything, teach uh, about God to our kids with everything, which is a high call. So let's get to know this wonderful family up here. Why don't you introduce yourself to us? Is the mic on? Yeah, okay. I'm JJ Steele. This is my wife, Carrie Steele, and our daughter, Casey Coram Deo Steele. Now, normally we'd have a picture so you can see her a little closer, but you'll just have to pin them down after service and get a good look. <laughs> She's lovely, has a beautiful bow. Uh, how long have you guys been a part of our church? Uh, I think just over three years. Three uh, we, years. We did our premarital counseling with Frank, and yeah. we just kept it rolling. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, you guys are, these are surprise questions to you, but this is fine, right? Uh, you guys are also community group leaders, right? Tell us about that. Yeah, so we've been uh, doing our... I was thinking about that the other day. How, how long have we been doing our small group? For about a year and a half. Year and a half um, out of our house. Uh, so we meet every Tuesday night, and our group has doubled in size over the past few months, which has been great. And That's awesome. uh, we've got a 
a wide assortment of people and it's, it's always sharpening and we're, we're very focused on making sure that we're sharpening each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. Love that. Thank you. And so I'll start with just an encouragement for you to give the gift of a healthy marriage to Casey. Now, I didn't say perfect marriage. <laughs> I don't know anyone that can do that quite yet, but a healthy marriage, which will at times, yes, include healthy conflict. But what she needs to see is the light of Jesus shine through your lives and all of its joys and ups and downs. And so uh, I'm going to say one thing and then we'll get into three different statements. At the end of each statement, I'll ask you to respond with a two-part answer. One, you'll say, we will, if that's your intention. And then at the end, you'll say, by God's help. Because at the same time that we make these grand statements, I'm going to do this and that, we recognize that there'll be times where we won't be faithful to that. And so we say we will and yes, with God's help. Okay. So parents, in bringing Casey to God's house today, you are consecrating yourselves to God, trusting in him, and doing everything you can to encourage her to become a true disciple of Christ while you pursue the same thing. So first, will you... Bring her up in the regular worship and teaching of the church, that she may come to love the church and so come to love and trust Christ as her Savior and follow him as Lord. If so, answer, we will with God's help. We will with God's help. Will you work to provide a home with your genuine faith in its ups and downs, joys and sorrows on display for her, that the redemption and light of Jesus might be what shines through? If so, answer, we will with God's help. We will with God's help. Lastly, will you work to include others in this work as you're able, including us in your definition of family, in community, reaching out for prayer, practical help, and guidance? If so, answer, we will, with God's help. We will, with God's help. <laughs> Jesus looking at you. So sweet. And now, church, uh, there are two things I'm going to ask you, and I want you, if that's your intention at the end, to respond with the same. And it's the same idea. We will, we aspire to, and we're going to do it with God's help. So first, before God and one another, will you, members of Redemption Arcadia, be faithful Christians, making Christ and his word your highest treasure, so that Casey and other children may grow up surrounded by this example of what we mean when we say, all of life saw for Jesus. If so, answer, we will with God's help. Lastly, will you work to serve and love the families of our church family whenever possible, recognizing your role not just to be the example of Christ, but to be his hands and feet? If so, answer, we will with God's help. That's pretty sweet. Uh, church, would you reach out your hands with me and pray? God, we ask first for your blessing to rain down richly and in fullness, God, that their marriage would be um, firmly fixed on the gospel and that, that that's the one thing that will never change is the story of God, you coming, living for us, dying for us, being raised. Uh, we're raised with you, God. What a beautiful story that is. We pray, God, that you would bring salvation to Casey's life as soon as she's able to understand it as a work and means of your grace alone and for your glory. And for us, God, their extended family, the community, God, would you help us to be faithful? Would you help us, like I said, to not just be the example of you, Jesus, although that's a high enough call in and of itself, but to also work to be your hands and feet to them. And God, would you just bear the fruit of your spirit in us, in our church, 
in this family and in Casey's life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's thank them for coming up. <laughs> now I'm going to invite Heather to come up here real quick. And we have a brief announcement here. Hi, Heather. If you guys don't know Heather, she is leading our children's ministry. Yay, Heather. Yay, children's ministry. <laughs> so we have an announcement of people that we're looking for to help with kids ministry. As we've been reopening, more and more parents are coming and we're looking for help. So my first question is, what are the needs and who, who do you need to fill those needs? I mean, the needs are simple. It's volunteers. Um, we've been seeing more, more and more families return to church on Sundays, so our classrooms are getting full, and um, we want to keep those classrooms as safe and healthy as possible. That means we need to open some more, give kids some more room to breathe and more distance in there. No. Yeah, so we want to have the smallest room size that we can, which means more rooms open, which means more people. So all that to say, we need, we need your help. So give me an example of, of uh, people that have stepped up that have been a blessing to you and, and maybe some ideas for us. Yeah, a huge blessing recently that I've seen has been parents who um, I know have really, really busy schedules, but they still are able to commit to like one time a month. Um, we understand with life with little kids is like, it's tough. It's a challenge to get here even on time, but um, to have those families come and serve together, it's a really beautiful thing to see. But also that literally opens an entire classroom for us. So that's a big, big, um, big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Thank you. And then the last reminder, our kids ministry is here. We talk about this all the time to partner with parents. This is a really great way for the church to partner with us as we seek to do that. So uh, thank you. Let's thank Heather for coming up. Thanks, Heather. And please stand for the reading of God's word. The reading today is from the book of Luke, chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring. This is the word of the Lord. You may please be seated. Amen. Welcome, Redemption Arcadia. So glad you're here today. Uh, my name is Tyler. If I've not yet had a chance to meet you, I would love to do so. Um, usually leading worship or at the Connect Desk. Um, I'm the pastor of worship and communities here, but also excited to be able to share the Word of God with you today. Um, hope you're having a good week. Hope you're having a good Sunday. It's, it's crazy out there. And so I'm really thankful to the Lord that we get to spend time together with Him and with each other here today in what can be a sort of shelter from the storm as the Lord meets with his people. 
Uh, we've been going through a series, it's called Come and See. It's our Advent series. And uh, with this, we're looking at uh, ways that we can uh, marvel at God's majesty, his, his might, his power, his beauty. Uh, and we believe that there's something to be seen here uh, during Advent. And so we're inviting people to come closer and take a look at this Jesus of the Bible. Uh, Pastor Frank spoke last week on uh, Mega Nopion, great before the Lord, and uh, invited us to be a people who are great before the Lord for his cause and for his sake. And today we're going to look at uh, Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 56, uh, and the word Megaluno. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, I would invite you to turn uh, to them in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 56, and we're going to look at this word Megaluno. Uh, Strong's Concordance has Megaluno as being great magnification, great magnification. Uh, and the idea is that this magnification of the Lord results in our good and his glory. Uh, we learn from this passage today that God's been at work to magnify himself uh, since the dawn of creation, uh, that we see that through uh, Genesis 1, as the Lord creates the world and it reflects his glory. We see that in Romans 1, as Paul says, uh, that he, is, he can be seen through his, his invisible qualities can be seen through what he has made. Uh, and we see that in John chapter 1 that we've recently studied, uh, that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God, and that he was involved in this creation of the world and we see this in Hebrews 1, as the author of Hebrews says that Jesus, this Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his image. Uh, this is what we're getting today in this passage in Luke as well, that God has been at work through the law and the prophets and in these last days through Jesus Christ to magnify himself and that we get to be instruments of his magnification, which is a pretty cool job description. And so let's open up Luke chapter 1. Now, before we jump into the word, I just want to give you three, three uh, images to, to consider what this megaluno word means. A couple of images just for you to get a picture of, of what this word is talking about. The first is, have, have you ever been to like a pier uh, at the beach, and you're out on the pier, and they've got one of those telescopes? And you can put a quarter in, and you can look out to the ocean. You can see the whales and that kind of thing. Or you can see um, what's going on in, in the skyline uh, down, the, down the coast. Uh, Megaluno, one way of thinking about Megaluno would be this kind of a telescope, that we look through this telescope in order to get a larger picture of what's going on. It doesn't actually make the whale bigger. It just, to you, the whale now looks bigger because you're using this instrument. That's one way of thinking about Megaluno. Uh, a second way that you might think about megaluno is uh, through amplification. So we'll give, we gave a visual concept, now we'll give a, an audible concept. Uh, amplification, uh, like a guitar amp. The guitar amp actually amplifies the sound of the electric guitar so that it can be heard with a larger audience. Uh, that's maybe another way of looking at megaluno. And then a third way is just this, uh, and there was recently a, a full moon in my, my kids, and uh, we were outside enjoying this full moon, and for me, it's really special to see Dallas especially look at a full moon because he's two, and he's kind of seen some of these things for the first time. And so Dallas is looking up at this moon, and, and he's seeing this with these wide eyes, this full moon and the, and the radiance of this light. And, and Charlotte and Savannah are saying, look at the moon, look at the moon, it's huge tonight. Well, the cool thing about the moon and those kinds of experiences is that the moon doesn't actually get bigger on some nights than other, but 
our perception of the moon gets bigger because we see it in a new light at a certain time and a certain place with certain people. Those are some ways to start thinking about Megaluno as we look into Luke chapter 1, and we'll see how it plays out in this passage this morning. So Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now, because we have 30 verses here, I'm not going to go deep dive into each of these, these passages, in, into each of these verses. But I want you to see this in this opening verse is that this is happening in a town called Nazareth, which is a, a, a town that doesn't have much glory. In fact, in the day, there was a saying that nothing good comes out of Nazareth. It was sort of like thinking um, a particular place that you might not expect for a, a celebrity to come from. Uh, we, we wouldn't have expected the Savior of the world to come from Nazareth. And so the setting of this scene is one that is of small origins. And part of why God has chosen this small setting is so that his largeness might be revealed. That we aren't going to give glory or credit to anybody else in this situation. So we start in even a small town that would not have been considered uh, a place where somebody like a ruler would come from and that the Lord will be magnified even through this small origin. So Gabriel comes, and we we learned last week with Pastor Frank that that Gabriel had a job description uh, that was to stand in the presence of the Lord and to be sent out with his message. And Pastor Frank said, well, how many of you have that job description? And he reminded us gently that that's all of our job description. Each one of us as believers in Christ have that job description, that we stand in the presence of God and that we're sent out with his message for his purposes. It's a good reminder for us. So Gabriel comes now to Mary, to a virgin named Mary who was betrothed to Joseph. Now we can go deep dive into this word virgin as well. Uh, means that she was not yet married, means that she did not yet know a man, and that the savior of the world is beco- going to become from this woman and this humble origins. And Gabriel says in verse 28, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. So an angel shows up. One of the first things that angels uh, tend to uh, evoke in people that see them is that they're a little bit afraid of the glory that they're reflecting. So if Gabriel stands in the presence of God, that means that the glory that's coming from God is being soaked up by Gabriel in a way that is reflected then when he comes to greet human beings. We, we wonder why angels are so, so bright. It's because they're hanging out with God all the time. And there's that radiance there that's there. So we do find out that Joseph is, a part of the, is a, in the lineage of David. So we know that there's a ruler that is, is, is told from the scripture to be coming to Joseph through the house of Israel, through the house of David. And Gabriel shows up. Excuse me, one moment. I'm just very dry up here, you guys. Is that okay to be human? <laughs> Praise God for water. <clears throat> May he be magnified. <sighs> so the angel shows up and is talking to Mary, a small city, a place you wouldn't expect a leader to come from. 
and gives her this greeting, the Lord is with you. And Mary's troubled at this greeting because she does not know what kind of greeting this is. And she tries to discern what sort of greeting it might be. In verse 30, and the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. So a couple of things about this next statement from Gabriel. First is that it is kind of angel 101 to immediately say, do not be afraid. It's what they train the angels to do. Because the reaction is one of fear. When you see an angel, it's not something that's just sort of like the Hallmark card, the baby, the, the baby angel playing the harp. It's actually a fearful thing because of what these angels are, who they are, and what they do. And so the first thing you, tell an angel, you say if you're an angel is do not be afraid. And the second thing that the angel says is this, you have found favor with God. I appreciate this phrase so much because it's not something that Mary earned. It's not something that she actually worked really hard for to, to gain but that she has found favor from the Lord, that the Lord has gifted Mary with favor. And praise God that he does that for each one of us, that the Lord gives his favor because we can't earn it. So the angel says, Do not be afraid, you found favor, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and, his, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Praise God for those words as well. That we know is coming a savior of the world who will reign over the world and whose kingdom will have no end. And Mary is being chosen as one who is caught up and involved in this whole process. Can you imagine being Mary in that situation, scared to death of the angel that's there, not expecting any kind of situation like this, and then being used by God in such a great way? This is what the Lord actually invites his people to do, that each one of us, in some ways, Mary is a prototypical believer. She is sort of like each one of us. Now, not each one of us will carry Christ in the way that Mary did, but we have a pattern here with Mary that is similar to what happens with each one of us. We're broken, we're sinful, we're small, we're unassuming. The Lord comes to us with a word, and then we have a response from there. And let's see what Mary's response is. And Mary said to the angel, verse 34, How will this be, since I am a virgin? I appreciated last week that Pastor Frank also said there's a difference between how Mary responds and how Zechariah re responds. And so God's going to tailor his response to the individual. In fact, Frank said how God responds to Zechariah looks very different than how God responds to Mary, but both of the responses are born out of love. I appreciate that point so much. Looking at Zechariah last week and now looking at Mary, that God knows each one of us enough to respond to us in just the way that we need. And it's not favoritism, but it's born out of God's love. This is a helpful message for us today as we sometimes see God respond one way to our friends, to family members, to even strangers and enemies, and then responds to us in a different way. It's not born out of God's favoritism, but it's born out of God's love, knowing exactly what it is that we need in the moment. And this is the way with Mary as well. She says, how will this be since I'm a virgin? In verse 35, the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born with, will be, who will be called holy, the Son of God. 
I appreciate so much, again, this pattern of Mary as a typical believer. Broken, the word of God comes to her, and the Holy Spirit comes on her so that she understands the word of God. She believes the word of God. She obeys the word of God. This is the pattern for each one of us that Mary has actually given us a good example of. And it's not because she herself is more special than anybody else. But it's that we actually get that same opportunity when the word of God comes to us. That we become somebody who has heard the word, but we need the Holy Spirit to understand the word. Now, the angel Gabriel uses this, this word overshadow. That, that she will be overshadowed with the Holy Spirit. Have any of you ever been overshadowed with the Holy Spirit? This is a good thing. In fact, what we want is to be overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. In theater, there's a phrase called upstaging. And if those of you have worked in the theater, or you've probably even seen it if you haven't worked in the theater, that if somebody is, 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 is performing some sort of action on the stage and, 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 is, and is doing it here, if another person comes up upstage comes in front of the other person and blocks the action, then all the attention is drawn to this other person. And so it's actually generally a pretty bad thing to do in theater is to upstage somebody else. Anybody ever seen it? The general rule here is we don't ever want to upstage God. Not that we could, but that being overshadowed by God is actually a good thing. A couple of times during my study this week, uh, I was taken to the transfiguration of Christ because of this word overshadow. The same word is used in the transfiguration of Christ when Christ actually reveals more of his glory to his disciples. And of course, his disciples miss it and, and they were falling asleep and all of that. But that word overshadow is there. That what we want as believers is for God to overshadow us on a consistent basis on a continual basis, through the things that we are doing in his, even in his mission. And so Mary is told that the Holy Spirit will come and will overshadow her, and the child will be born and will be called the Son of God. So we have this announcement of the coming of Jesus Christ into the world because of the overshadowing of the Spirit of God, that the Spirit of God overshadows Mary enough to conceive Christ through Mary. None of us in this room are going to actually physically carry the Son of God. But this is what happens with us as well. That the Holy Spirit overshadows us in such a way that we might conceive Christ to the world. That through us, Christ might be magnified due to the power of the Holy Spirit. And so the angel Gabriel goes on and says, And behold, verse 36, Your relative Elizabeth in, is in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who has called, who's been called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. We get affirmation here that Elizabeth has indeed had, have, had conceived a son, and that this also is a sign of God's strength and his power, that nothing will be impossible with God. In other words, what God says he will do. The word of God comes forth, and he is faithful to perform it. Jeremiah 1 says that. Jeremiah 1 says that I am watching over my word so that I might perform it. 
In other words, that anytime God speaks, it does not return void. It will be fulfilled. We were just praying this morning as a group of us before the services and talking about how the word of God does neither fade, will not wither or fade, but will stand forever. That I've said this before, that God's word itself creates reality. And such is the case here as well. We find that God's word has come to pass with Elizabeth and will also come to pass with Mary. So part of what's going on here is that Mary is going from a place of not understanding how it will happen to seeing God's power on display through, through Elizabeth, her family member. Now, some of us sometimes need those kinds of testimonies for us to believe God's word. Some of us sometimes need the testimony of what's going on in somebody else's life to see that God's at work and his word is being fulfilled. But what we learn here is that God's word is going to be fulfilled and he's the one who will fulfill it or perform it. So Mary responds in verse 38, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. What we see that one of the ways that we magnify God is by his word being performed in our lives. That his word becoming reality in us is a way for us to megaluno, to magnify God. That's why James says, uh, don't just hear the word, do what it says. Sort of the general response for, for us as believers should be, okay, you said it, I'll do it. No question. And in that, Christ is magnified. God is made larger in our eyes and to the eyes of the world. So Mary is going to actually respond in saying, let it be to me according to your word, what you've said let happen in my life. Just pause for, I'll just pause for one minute and say, can, can that be our prayer today? Because even if just that was our prayer today, I think that that would go a long way. God, can your word be performed in my life. That what you say becomes reality in who I am and what I do. We can't go wrong. And so Mary actually is responding in a way that, again, is sort of the prototypical response for the believer if we want to magnify him in our lives. And the angel departed from her. Verse 39, in those days, now we don't know exactly how much, for, how much time has passed here, but we do know that it's going to be with haste, and so it, it, Mary's pretty excited to get to talk with, Mary, with Elizabeth at this point. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. One of Mary's responses here is, okay, I'm going to go see Elizabeth, so that I can confirm that she is indeed pregnant with a baby and so that I can praise God with her for what he's doing in my life. In other words, she doesn't want to be celebrating God alone, but goes to be with a, her family. Now, Elizabeth was a family member. There's some debate about exactly which family member. But Mary goes to see Elizabeth to celebrate the Lord together. And think of that little gathering. You've got Mary and Elizabeth, and inside of Mary... You have Jesus, and inside of Elizabeth, you have John. A little family gathering here where God invites us when we're called out according to his word. He doesn't call us into isolation. He calls us into a family. 
And there's a new level of family that goes on when you're in Christ. And Mary and Elizabeth are experiencing this in this visit. Verse 41, and when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Now, a few things that I would just like to point out here. One is that everybody's doing their job descriptions in this little family meeting. When Mary shows up with Jesus, John leaps for joy. John is the one who will prepare the way for Jesus, and he's already accomplishing his job description in the womb, proclaiming that the Son of God is present. And maybe that's your, your job description as well, that we're to be those who will prepare the way for Jesus, for those around us. Now, Elizabeth is actually affirming and encouraging Mary, which I appreciate. That Elizabeth is saying, blessed are you because you believed the word of God. And I think sometimes each one of us needs that kind of an encouragement. It's one of the powerful things about small groups and why I enjoy working with our redemption communities here is that sometimes we need that encouragement from somebody else to say, hey, be encouraged. You believe that God's word is true and that's going to lead to God's blessing in your life. Now we'll talk about blessing in a minute. But I think Elizabeth is doing her job here too by encouraging a fellow sister in Christ. And some of us sometimes need somebody to come alongside and say, hey, blessed are you because you believed that God's word would be true in your life. And Mary is conceiving Christ for this world. Mary is pointing to her in such a way that gives birth in this family, that this new family is brought up in the ways of the Lord. So we have everybody fulfilling their their, their job descriptions in this smaller group, including encouragement and proclamation of who Christ is, affirmation of the ways that God is working. Everybody brings a little peace. If you're in a small group here at Redemption, I want to encourage you that everybody comes to the small group with something to offer, something to give, some role to play, some way for God's word to become reality in your circle. And if you're here this morning, I want you to know that you come to church with some role to play, with something to offer, that there are not just spectators in the body, but that each one of us has a job description in the life of Christ that we can offer to him and to one another. And I'm encouraged by you just being here today. The Lord intends for us, when we've heard his word and we've responded in faith, than to act out that word in the body of Christ. Amen? Amen? And this is what we see here in the life of Mary and Elizabeth. God is magnified when his church does that. 
Now Mary's going to respond here with worship. And this is in verse 46. One of the things that I would just like to say about this with worship is that what worship is, is a response to God's revelation of who he is and what he's done. And there are a lot of different ways that we can do that. Uh, Colossians talks about how whatever our hands find to do can be an offering to the Lord as an act of worship. Romans 12 talks about us offering our bodies to him as an act of worship, transforming our minds as an act of worship. But when we're talking about praise response, what Mary is modeling here is that we respond to who God is and what he's done with praise for him. And that's what we're doing when we gather this to sing on Sundays as well. We're praising God for who he is and for what he's done. And this song that Mary sings is an example of that. So verse 46, and Mary said, some translations or some uh, scholars believe that to be a Mary saying, because she would have sung, my soul magnifies the Lord. In other words, I am, my soul, I am, I am created and made to put a magnifying glass, a telescope, a guitar amp on, on God. And this response of praise is one where I'm hoping that God becomes bigger in my life and in all of your lives and anybody else who's going to read this. That we're enlarging, we're enlarging God in this passage. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Verse 48, for he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant. And, and behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. Mary's saying here, He's seen me while I'm small. Any of you ever felt in your smallness, in our smallness, that we just like to be seen? <laughs> what Mary is responding to, to the Lord here is that the Lord does see her in her smallness. In fact, that there's none of us that is small enough for God not to see. So God has seen Mary in her humble estate and seen her as someone who can be used by God. The general principle here is just that God uses the only kind of people that there are, and that is broken people. So it's better for us just to acknowledge that that's what we are, so that God can get down to using us for his glory, right? So Mary says this, he's seen me in my humble estate, and now all generations will call me blessed. Which, which has been the case. In fact, sometimes we have gone too far to lift Mary up. We've taken her to a place that the Lord never intended. But she is blessed because God's word has become reality in her life. Because she spent nine months carrying the Savior of the world. For those of you who have been pregnant and know what that is, there's something special about having the child in you, in you. I have three kids, and I love them, and we're close, but I will never know what it's like to have carried them in my body. Mary got to do this. Again, she sets an example for us that though we won't physically do this in our lives, that we are called to carry Christ with us. And so Mary responds in saying that 
You've seen me in my humble estate, and all generations will call me blessed. Not for her sake, but for God's. Verse 49, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Again, responding to who God is and what he has done. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Next week, Tyler James will talk about great mercy, mega mega mercy. And his mercy is for those who fear him. Verse 51, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their heart. This one jumped out to me this week as well because sometimes I like to sort of track some of the things that people are saying because it makes me so angry and I want God just to scatter the proud. And then I recognize that even that posture makes me proud and it's just my pride that's getting upset about their pride. The Lord scatters the proud. I was reading with my kids this week about Babel and the Lord scattering the people at Babel because of their pride. That we have really a couple of options. We can choose to be broken and humble before the Lord or we can choose to be proud before the Lord and he's going to scatter us. That's a promise. I think it's easier just to start with the broken, humble approach. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. This also is is a statement of spiritual warfare that Mary is giving here. It's worship as warfare, really. This is not the Hallmark card like we talked about earlier, where it's just peace on earth, goodwill to men. This is God is bringing down rulers and kings from their places of authority because God can do that. He's established them in their places of authority and he can bring them down from their places of authority. Do you take comfort in that? that the Lord is actually able to bring the rulers down that he doesn't want to have be there anymore. It's why the Christian can have peace even in times of turmoil because we know that the Lord is the one who controls it all. And so, the, so Mary is pointing this out. In fact, there was a ruler at this time, if you remember King Herod, we're not going to talk about King Herod much, but King Herod was someone who would do anything to keep himself large and in charge to the point of killing babies. King Herod would, by any means necessary, keep himself as large. And Mary is saying, these proud rulers are not outside the grip of God. But God even, God has the ability even to bring these rulers to their knees. And we ought to take comfort in that as well. Verse 53, he has filled the hungry with good things, and he sent the rich away empty. I just want to point out here that if you are hungry today, God fills the hungry with good things. And there are those of us today who just need to reach out to the Lord and say, we're hungry. Would you fill us with your good things? Now, we tend to think that God's blessing looks like, give me more stuff, right? But... Biblical blessing looks like being connected to Jesus in a way that brings fruit in your life. And that might not mean more stuff. In fact, it might mean that God calls us to hardship and that it's a blessing for God to call us to and take us through hardship in our lives because we'll see the fruit of his glory in that. Mary understands this and says that God fills the hungry with good things but he sends the rich away empty. 
Again, there's not an indictment on wealth here or money here, but there's an understanding that if you are in a posture where you think you don't need anything from God, there's a good chance you won't get anything from him. So Mary understands this economy of God where the hungry are filled by him and the rich are sent away. Verse 54, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. That's just another way of saying what God said he will do, God will accomplish. What he said he would do with our forefathers, he is accomplishing in Jesus Christ. Amen? So Mary fellowships a few more months and then goes home because she's got a lot to do as well. It's good to be around family in the final trimester, I've heard. It's helpful. And Mary and Elizabeth got to have that kind of a fellowship, affirming each other in the word of the Lord becoming reality in their lives for that final few months. Now, there are a few ways that we get megaluno wrong. We've seen that we should megaluno by God becoming greater in our lives, that word, his word should become reality to us. We megaluno when we are a part of the body of Christ and we're affirming and confirming God's word in the lives of each other and in the group. We've seen megaluno as a way of responding in worship and praise to the Lord. We magnify him in that way. But there are a few ways that we get megaluno wrong. And so I just want to give you three images about that as well. The first is this. I was uh, reminded this week of, of that great classic movie, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. And Rick Moranis, is, he has, Rick Moranis has this magnifying glass, and he's trying to find his kids, and we see a shot of his huge mouth, his huge eyes through the magnifying glass. That's the first way that we get megaluno wrong, is that we have it pointed the wrong way, where we're looking to be magnified ourselves instead of magnifying God. A second one I was reminded of was this, this game, uh, the game of risk, global domination. How many of you like to play risk? Me too. The six of us will go do this sometime. <laughs> I love risk because you get to set up your little territory and you're expanding your borders and you're trying to take over the whole world. It occurred to me that sometimes we think about megaluno like we think about risk. Like, I want to increase my borders because we don't have peace about the borders that God has given us. But scripture after scripture in the, in the Bible talks about how God has established your borders on purpose and that he keeps your borders and that if he enlarges your borders, it's because of his work, not because of ours. And so we don't want to get into a, a risk mindset where we're out to just take over the world and expand our borders little by little. A, a third image uh, for this is just the other classic movie that is my favorite Christmas movie, and that's Elf, if you've seen Elf, with Will Ferrell. And it was something similar in Tim Allen's The Santa Claus, but the idea with this is that Santa's sleigh was not going to work if you didn't believe in him and sing praises to him. And so the sleigh broke down because not enough people believed in him, not enough praises given to Santa, and so the only way to get his power back was if everybody would sing a Christmas song. Now, I love the movie, but it's a way that we get megaluno wrong. 
Because we actually sometimes think that God's only going to be powerful if enough of us believe in him. But God's power is already beyond what we can imagine. Just like that moon at the beginning. It doesn't get any larger when we see a full moon. It's that it becomes larger in our eyes and the eyes of those around us. So God doesn't actually rely on our praises or our belief to be God. But we should believe in him because he is God. So we think that our praises are, 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 doing, are putting him on the throne. Or we go the other way and we think God is all powerful. He's in control. He doesn't need us to do anything. I'll just wait until he comes back again. Well, there's no fooling Jesus in any of these things. And I just want to uh, uh, give you a, a warning that Jesus gives out of Matthew 23. And so if you'll check Matthew 23, this is what Jesus says about Megaluno. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works that they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and they lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. That's megaluna right there. They, they megaluno their phylacteries. They make their phylacteries big so that people can see them. Now, if you don't know what a phylactery is, a phylactery is a, is a box where scripture was kept, where God's word was, got, was kept. Literally, they put God's word in a box. And they made the box bigger so that people would think that they were more spiritual. Friends, we don't have any way of boxing up God's word. It's unleashed on the world, and it won't return void. What we want is not for our boxes to be bigger, but for God's word to be bigger in our lives, so that God himself will be bigger for the world. And so Jesus knows this and gives us this warning because he understands that we megaluno the wrong things. Instead, we have a call. It's a gospel-centered, outward-focused call to megaluno in the world. That we want to magnify God. Malachi 1 says that God would be magnified beyond the borders of Israel. That's what we want, too. Yes, that God would be magnified in this place, but that God would be magnified beyond the borders of Israel. A couple of things in closing. I, I was talking with the uh, guitarists here on the worship team, some of the electric guitarists, about amplification. And I should have, I texted them and I should have led with the fact that I was studying for the sermon so they didn't get excited about the new amp that we were buying, which, we, which maybe we'll do, which maybe we'll do. <laughs> but the guitarists were saying a few things. I was saying, what's the, what's the best guitar? What's the, be what's the one we would want to have at the church? And they said, well, what is being played? Who is playing it? Who is the audience? What's the budget? Money. Right? And what's the purpose? Those were the things that they asked. 
What's, be, what's being played, who's playing it, who's the audience, what's the budget, what's the purpose? And I thought to myself, isn't that the question here for Megaluno as well? For us, as believers in Christ, what we are playing is the message of Jesus Christ, the good news of the gospel. Who's playing it? Anybody who will believe and is found in Christ has this job description to Megaluno. Who is the audience? Anybody around us that will listen. Anyone. Friends, neighbors, countrymen. Anybody. What's the budget? It's the Holy Spirit. Because God can do all things. And nothing will be impossible without him. We don't need any other resource than God himself. And what's the purpose? So that his name might be lifted on high in every tongue and tribe and nation to the glory of God the Father. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we're so thankful that you have allowed for us to be seen by you in our humble state. We're so, so thankful, Lord, that, that you have chosen to involve us in your largeness and that our smallness doesn't detract from your largeness. God, we're thankful that you allow for us to be a part of your family where we can encourage and affirm one another for what you're doing in our lives. God, we pray that your word would become reality in each one of us and that we would be caught up with magnifying you to the world. Lord, as we, as we take communion here, we pray that you would be glorified in this too, that as we, we reflect that you went to the cross, gave your life for, for our sin, and that this, Lord, this humiliating process that you went through was the greatest act of selflessness that we've ever seen. That you were magnified, Lord, even in your death on the cross. And so, Lord, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, we boast not in ourselves, but we boast in the Lord so that your message might be carried to the world. So, Lord, as we take the, the bread the symbol of your body and the cup, the symbol of your blood. We pray, Lord, that every believer in this room will be moved by your word to remember your death and your resurrection until you come. And that, Lord, you'd be glorified in this too and in our response of worship. We praise you. We magnify you. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, if you don't have communion, they're in the back. You're welcome to grab them and we'll respond now by, by praising the Lord, by magnifying him in and through the communion and also through this worship song. Should not.
Lord, it is evident how much you've blessed this church by this by the sheer talent of the people you've brought to lead us today, um, but also in the word that you brought through, your word that you brought through Tyler this morning, Pastor Tyler. I thank you for that word, and just as this song sings, Lord, I pray that this song would be like a tune for our life, that we would recognize that unless you build the house, in vain its builders strive. Um, similarly, Lord, I pray that you would bring out the fruit of this word, that we would recognize your greatness in our lives and help others recognize the greatness of you. Um, and Lord, I do pray that you would use Redemption Arcadia as a, as a place to bring about your gospel um, in its neighborhood. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll take this off. Hey, guys. Uh, I'm Trey. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, today is Orientation Sunday. So that means that if you're new or you've been coming for a little bit and you want to learn a little bit more about the church and a little bit about, more about who we are, come meet me in the back at the Connect desk. We'll take a quick walkabout of the church, like 10 or so minutes, and then we'll have a party with the pastors and staff at the, uh, is it the bistro. I don't, the patio. That's the right word. I couldn't think of it. <laughs> Words are hard. Um, but uh, anyway, I'm going to say the benediction over us and then. Uh, if you would, meet me in the back if you want to come around or just ask some questions, or you can just sneak out and, and meet some people and get to hang out on the patio. Uh, this is from number six. Frank says it almost every week, but you know what? Let's not change what's wonderful. God's word is never void. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace now and forevermore. Amen. Arcadia, go and live all of life all for Jesus. We'll see you next week.